We're going to be looking uh, together this morning at uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3 specifically. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't know where you think you can find true satisfaction. Uh, Our society tells us that to be truly blessed, you need to have family, you need to have lots of money, you need to have great friends, you need to have even better holidays, Uh, you need lots of things. Yet, in our hearts of hearts, I think if we're honest, well, I know if we're honest with each other in our hearts of hearts, we know that's not true. And over the past year, our society's mantra has been tested to the limits, hasn't it? Uh, We haven't seen family. Many have lost jobs. We're not able to meet friends. We're certainly not able to go on any great holidays. Those things that we were told would give true uh, satisfaction have been shown that they can't because they don't last forever and they are not there in all circumstances. But rather than dealing with this fact, our culture is focused on the day that those things are going to return, which frankly uh, is stupid. Uh, It tells us, doesn't it, that there will be a day that, you know, when we can hug each other, it'll be okay. When you can get on an aeroplane again and jet around the world, everything will be okay again. When we can go out to restaurants, it'll all be okay. Yet again, in our heart of hearts, we know that isn't true because the same fundamental issues are still there. Well, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus shows us some of the most profound and revolutionary teaching uh, where he tells us what it is like to be truly blessed. And it is something that should challenge us and our worldview. So I'm very conscious this morning that when, as we look at this first beatitude, what I'm saying to you is completely against what you hear at the day of the week. It is the exact opposite than what is shoved down your throats on TV and Netflix It's the exact opposite to what is screamed at you as you listen to music or other programs on the radio. Rather than being blessed like we are by the crumbs of the table, God wants us to be satisfied by this most lavish banquet that we could ever imagine. He wants to lift our gaze from the things around us and point us to him. And I want to be clear this morning that even in the middle of a global pandemic, when it seems like the whole of life has been turned upside down, Uh, that we can be fully blessed. So three things as we look at this verse this morning, three things. The first one, and this is going to be slightly longer than my other points, so don't panic uh, when it takes slightly longer. Uh, First point is this. To be truly blessed, you have to realise you are bankrupt. To be truly blessed, you have to realise that you are bankrupt. And we see that, don't we? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, if you knew nothing of these statements that Jesus was making and you were asked to characterize a person who is blessed by God, what would you think about? You would probably think that they were holy, somebody who never did anything wrong. Uh, You would think that maybe that uh, they were the best Christians, you know, the best people, you know, these people who are better than everybody or at least think they are. But here Jesus is saying, actually, the first key to being blessed in his kingdom, is realising that you're bankrupt. And that is so different, as I've said, to our culture. Our culture is all about showing that you have the perfect life. So for those of you that are on social media, on Facebook and things like that, you will know that it's just one huge competition to show who has the greatest life. 
that has changed slightly during lockdown. And instead of pictures of of different parts of the world and, and family and all those things, people are, I don't know, there's a big competition to see who can do the best lockdown baking. But Jesus speaks to our culture and says, no, it's not about being as great as you can be. It's about realizing that you will never be truly blessed until you realize that you are bankrupt. And the society that Jesus was speaking to is no different to ours. Now, they may not have had Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram. They certainly didn't have Zoom uh, that they could have worshipped with each other in a global pandemic. But these people were very proud. They were very proud of their religious achievements. They were proud about the sacrifices they offered. They were proud about their zeal. They were proud that they were part of the covenant people of Israel. They were proud... Uh, about their self-righteousness. They were very self-confident. They were self-important. So what Jesus is saying is just as confrontational to them. So you can imagine how they would feel when Jesus is talking about being poor in spirit. And the point that he is making is that you need to to cower and cringe like a beggar. Now think of of a beggar, someone with no wealth or influence, someone who has no position or honor, no no, nothing to bring. They don't have any. They don't have any possessions other than the clothes that they are that they are wearing. And I hope if you're with me, you're, you're you're putting your brain into gear while we're listening and thinking. Well, actually, I'm not like that. I'm, I'm I mean, I'm not the richest person in the world. You know, I appreciate Clerich is well. It's actually you know as close as a Welsh thing to Monte Carlo as you're going to get, but it's still sort of you know not quite there. Uh, but it's not that bad. I've got a good job. I've got a nice house. I've been coming to church. Uh, you know, it's, it's really not that bad. And Jesus tells a parable uh, about people who, who thought a bit like that in Luke chapter 18, something that you can maybe read uh, later this afternoon. Uh, it's from Luke 18 and verse 9. It's only a few verses, uh, but it's about two men, a Pharisee who was a religious leader of the day and a tax collector. And tax collectors well, Pharisees were, were the respectable people. Tax collectors, tax collectors were some of the most hated people uh, in society. They were the worst of the worst because they used to take the Jews' money and give it to the Romans. So people hated them. But here we see in this, in this parable that Jesus tells that as Pharise- this Pharisee was morally superior. Jesus tells us that he was financially honest, that he was just in his dealings, that he was faithful to his wife that he was also that he was religiously superior. He, he fasted, he gave a tenth uh, of, his, of his income to the local synagogue, that he was priding himself on his own religion. But not only that, Jesus, as he's walking through this uh, parable, tells us that this man is trusting in himself to make us righteous because what happens is he starts to pray. And when he, when he prays, he says, thank you, Lord, that I am not like this other man. He does this, 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 and this. Thank you that I am not like that. And he was trusting, wasn't he, in his own righteousness. And he thanked God for his own righteousness because he acted it. It was his heart. It was his will. He believed that he was better than other people because he was more righteous than they were. And maybe some of you think like that this morning. I used to be a bit like that. I pride myself sometimes, we all like it sometimes, don't we? If we're, if we're honest with ourselves, that we're more morally upright than somebody else. We, we watch the news and we tut at things that we see. 
Uh, we pride ourselves on our church attendance. You're always there, no matter what the situation is. And maybe you've even prayed. Thank you, God, that I am not like that. I've heard it prayed from pulpits. I've prayed it myself. But Jesus gives us a warning in that parable where he says that actually it's the tax collector who was justified rather than the Pharisee. The one who was morally and religiously superior was condemned. Well, how can that be true? How can, how can that, I mean, that logic is just so different to what we think, isn't it? Well, Jesus is talking here, isn't he, in terms of God. Because when you start comparing yourself to God as opposed to other people, you see that God is in a class by himself, in his perfection, in his greatness, in his worth. God is so glorious. Imagine how great God would have to be to create this world. Just think about it for a second. From all the crystalline caves to all the distant galaxies to the, to the tiny plankton in the ocean that produce more than half of the Earth's oxygen. The world that we live in is complex and wondrous. And that's even before we've got to human beings that our own, our own brains have, because scientists can't actually count the exact number, but our own brains have between 100 trillion to 1,000 trillion neural connections. Now, if you're like me, that sort of, well, that number is almost meaningless because it is too big. But when you think of something as intricate as the human eye, and then you think how glorious God must be to have created that. The heavens, Psalm 19 tells us, are shouting out the glory of God. He is shouting at us with the clouds, with the blue sky. He shouts with the sun on the horizon. He shouts with galaxies and stars. He is saying to us, isn't he? I am glorious. Open your eyes. And then when we compare ourselves to somebody like that, the one who is so holy and perfect, then we fall short. Paul, when he writes to some Christians in Rome, put it like this, didn't he? All of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Basically, that none of us make the grade. Compared to God, we are all utterly bankrupt. And this presents us with a problem because as a result of that bankruptcy, our relationship with God has been broken. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, we believed the lie that we didn't need God and we were perfectly okay on our own. And that religion has dominated world thought ever since Adam and Eve fell in love with the image of their own independence. When that serpent said to them, you will not die, you will be like God. They, like us, wanted to be their own God rejected him, rejected his goodness, and said they would rather go it alone. But the first problem with this, and this is what's really interesting about this beatitude, is that you rob yourself of true satisfaction and joy that is ultimately only found in Jesus. Surely that is the point of all of these beatitudes, is that being truly blessed, you can only be truly blessed in God through Jesus Christ. But also, it's not just about this life that there's a problem. It means that when we die, that we'll meet God. And rather than our relationship being restored, rather than entering his presence where, when, when we've done all of our life, uh, he will just say, you did not want to know me. And we will spend forever in his judgment. So as I tie this point together, only someone who realizes they are utterly 
bankrupt can find true blessing this morning. And brothers and sisters and friends, do you know that this morning? Whether you are in the kingdom or out of it, do you understand that you are utterly bankrupt? Your money, your house, your family, your job, none of that changes that. Neither will being here on Zoom, neither will being an elder, playing a piano when you're allowed to do that again. Uh, you know, any of those things. Jesus says, blessed are the bankrupt. Blessed are the destitute. Blessed are the hopeless. Blessed are those who have nothing to bring to the table. Blessed are people like you and me. Well, having seen then that true blessing is only found when we've realised that we're bankrupt, we also see that true blessing is only found in God's kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't want to sort of open a big debate here, right? So if, if you're staying behind to chat afterwards, I don't want to talk about this, right? But Because people have really strong opinions on which kingdom is the best kingdom to live in, don't they? We have big opinions on that, if we're honest. Uh, and I'm sure that if, if we did a, a poll of the church, we'd all think different things, right? Brexit exposed that pretty much half of the population thought that we were better off in the EU, and slightly more than half thought that we were better off out of the EU. And it's interesting, isn't it, that the same conversation now, once we thought we'd got that one out of the way, the same conversation is now taking place about the United Kingdom, with many in Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland arguing passionately that each nation would be better off going alone rather than being part of the current kingdom. Now, I'm not here to say whether those are right or wrong. That's not my point, so please don't think it is. Uh, but they tell us, don't they, that it would be better We'd have our own rules. We'll be able to make society fairer. There'll be less corruption. It would be more blessed to be an independent country. Well, 2,000 years ago, Jesus made a similar claim. But it wasn't a claim about the EU or the United Kingdom. It wasn't even a claim about the physical country of Israel. But he said that to be truly blessed, you need to come into his kingdom. And our society tells us, whoa, 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 whoa. Who, who do you think you are to say that you have to be in Jesus's kingdom to be blessed? How, how arrogant are you? How can you say those things? There's lots of good things to do. And we have to admit that, don't we? There are lots of good things in, in life. Uh, your experience tells you that. I'm sure you would agree with me that a Mr. Whippy ice cream is one of the world's greatest pleasures uh, but the problem with Mr. Whippy ice cream, so that's the soft serve stuff you get from an ice cream van, if you don't know what that is. Uh, but the problem with one of those Mr. Whippy ice creams is they're never quite enough. Because very soon afterwards, I think I'd like another one of those, especially on a hot day. Because the satisfaction has gone. And this is the point. Jesus is saying that full satisfaction, full blessing is only possible in his kingdom. It's only found there. It's found in becoming a subject of his, acknowledging him as king, coming under his rule, coming under his authority, coming under his blessing. That is the only place that true blessing occurs. Yet our text tells us that this kingdom isn't for everybody. It's, this kingdom is for those who are poor in spirit. This kingdom is for those who understand that they are bankrupt. What an amazing word theirs is. It literally means theirs alone. No one else's, barring all others who approach God, except those with a beggar's heart. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it, notice that it says theirs is, not will be. Theirs is the kingdom of, of heaven. 
So it's present. It's here and now. It's not just limited to heaven in the future, the eternal new heaven and the new earth. Well, the king, there's is the kingdom of heaven. It means that you come into the kingdom and you inherit all of its blessings as you come on through the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, it does partly mean the new heavens and the new earth in Revelation chapter one and twenty, chapter twenty-one and chapter twenty-two. But it's also, as we've said, this present aspect. Yours is you have. If you're in the kingdom, you have kingdom blessing now. What does that mean? The kingdom is where God pours out his blessings. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, we have been blessed with, what have we been blessed with? We have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. So a second bit of homework for you this afternoon, as well as reading the parable in Luke chapter 18, read Ephesians chapter 1 and read from verses 3 down to 14. It is magnificent. And list all of those blessings that you have as part of being in Jesus's kingdom. I would love to go through them all now, but we would be here till well, we'd be here till the communion service on Easter Sunday if we were if we were going to do them all justice. But we have been blessed with all those things. When we came into the kingdom, He starts blessing us. He provides all of the things that make us truly happy, all of the things that go on forever and ever in this life and the life to come. God offers us salvation from our perspective to bring us true happiness, contentment bliss, joy, and gladness. That is what God offers. No wonder Jesus says the poor in spirit are blessed because they've come into the kingdom and inherited everything. And if you're in the kingdom, everything important is settled, isn't it? If you're in the kingdom, you have kingdom adoption. You have kingdom grace. You have kingdom peace. You have kingdom mercy. You have kingdom power. You have kingdom truth. You have all of it. Everything that really matters is untouchable because you are in the kingdom and the king takes care of you. Because once you're in the kingdom, you're not just the subject of the king, you are the child's, you are the king's child, sorry. You are the son or daughter of the king. And out of the vast treasures of his resources, he takes care of you and he takes care of me because we are in his kingdom. And one day we'll be physically with him, won't we? We're told in Revelation that he will dwell with us. That, he, that we will be his people, that he will be with us, that he will be our God, that he will wipe tears away from our eyes, every tear, that there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. It almost sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? And there's an old mantra, isn't it? If something is too good to be true, it usually is. But it isn't always true. It isn't always true. People who are utterly bankrupt can be the children of the king, inheriting all of the blessings of the kingdom with God. And that leaves us with a question of how. Imagine one of the homeless people. I don't know how often you wouldn't have been to Cardiff much at all over the last year. But if you had been to Cardiff before that, you'd have noticed, right, that there are lots of homeless people in Cardiff. And imagine them traveling to London and trying to enter Buckingham Palace. What would happen? Well, he or she probably wouldn't get over the fence before they were stopped because a beggar has no business in the courts of royalty. But here Jesus is saying that all of those who are bankrupt can enter his kingdom. So the third thing, final thing this morning, Jesus is the only way to enter the kingdom of heaven and receive true blessing. 
One of my favourite films, right? Some of you know me better will know this, but one of my favourite films is Home Alone. If you've never seen Home Alone, right, I'm about to spoil it for you. So I would say I'm sorry, but I'm really not that sorry because Home Alone is a great movie. Basically, right, the family are going on a special trip to Paris over Christmas. Kevin is having a fight with most of his family members, his older brother, his cousins, his parents, his uncle, and he wishes they'd all disappear. Well, the following morning, Kevin gets his wish. The whole family is running late for their their trip to the airport, and through a headcount mishap, uh, they leave thinking that Kevin is in one of the shuttle vans. And with the family off to Paris, Kevin awakens to discover that he is home alone. They really thought about the title of the movie, as you can see. And we're told, aren't we, that, 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 well, we see in the film that two burglars who call themselves the Wet Bandits have been prowling the neighbourhood. They're robbing houses when they know people are away for the holidays. And they know that the McAllisters are going to Paris. But Kevin finds out about their plot to strike his home. And since he knows that Santa can't help him, on the night of their attack, he goes to church. And there he, he sees old man Marley. Now, old man Marley's been introduced earlier in the film as a bad guy. There's Kevin's older brother, who's a bit of a twerp. Uh, he, he basically tells him this urgent le- uh, legend that, that uh, old man Marley is a killer and that he's killed people and then he buries them in the, in the road salt. So Kevin's quite frightened, but he learns in the church that, that Marley is kind. And they have a conversation and, uh, and they leave. It's really quite a touching scene. Back at the house, though, Kevin gets to his plan. He works on his plan. And if you love slapstick comedy like I do, there's just lots of it. Uh, And he has all these different plans and schemes that he's going to protect his home. The robbers are stopped time and time again, but eventually they catch up with him. Harry, one of the burglars, is about to bite Kevin's fingers off as Kevin is hung by his jumper on hooks on the back of a door when old man Marley comes in at the last moment to intervene and save Kevin. Now, why am I telling you that this morning? Well, it's a little picture of our situation. Kevin, despite all of the things that he tried to do, he ultimately couldn't defeat the bad guys by himself. He wasn't good enough. He couldn't protect his home. He was stuck. He was utterly helpless, and there was nothing that he could do. He couldn't sort out the issues that he'd caused. He needed somebody who was bigger and better to sort out the bad guys for him. At that point, when he is hooked onto that door, He is bankrupt. Broken, bankrupt beggars cannot have the kingdom of heaven on their own. It's impossible. We need somebody who is bigger and better than us to gain it for us. And that person was Jesus. And our culture thinks that Jesus is just a swear word or he's an irrelevance. Yet Jesus is the one who is so amazing. And he is how bankrupt beggars can become the children of God. And this is where this is incredible and that we should never tire of hearing this. Well, I'm sure you'll hear lots more about it over the coming couple of weeks. Remember I said that we'd had that broken relationship with God. Well, Jesus came to sort that out. Jesus, God, the son, he's so glorious and amazing. Revelation 1 describes him like a son of man. It's just incredible there. That's a third piece of homework. You can read Revelation 1 later as well. Uh, And in Colossians 1, it tells us that Jesus is God. He was the creator. He is the sustainer of all things. He is supreme over all things. And yet he came into this world to ensure the bankrupt could have all the riches imaginable. But how did he do that? Well, he was the only person who has ever lived who was never bankrupt. He never did anything wrong. 
he met that standard of perfection that I said that we had missed. His relationship with his father had never been spoiled. He had never been poor in spirit because he had nothing to be poor about. But Jesus became poor so that we could be rich. He became bankrupt to give us his riches. While he was dying, we're told, aren't we, that God the Father punished Punish God the Son for our bankruptcy. He took our spiritual bankruptcy in our place, took our punishment on so that we could be the children of God. And having died on that third morning, he rose from the dead, proclaiming to the world that he was who he claimed he was and that he paid the price for bankrupt beggars in full. And that relationship with God could be restored. God the Son became a bankrupt beggar so bankrupt beggars could become the sons and daughters of God. And that is an awesome announcement for bankrupt beggars like you and I. He who was no sin was made sin for us on the cross at Calvary. We have nothing to give. But the good news is, is we don't have to have anything to give because Jesus has given it all. Because he became bankrupt, we have his riches. It's no wonder, is it, that the hymn writer that we sang earlier, he, he, he wrote, Not the labour of my hands can fulfil the Lord's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow, all for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Vile I to the fountain fly, wash me, Saviour, or I die. So as we finish, we've seen true blessing could only be found once you realise you are morally and spiritually bankrupt. Compared to God, you're like a beggar. Secondly, that true blessing is only found in God's kingdom. He gives us all the blessings that this world never can. Blessings that a beggar doesn't have any business in having. And that thirdly, Jesus is the only way into God's kingdom and into that blessing because he became bankrupt in our place. So this morning, whether you're in the kingdom or not, we need to come before God and acknowledge, don't we, that we are beggars before him. Just like the tax collector in the parable that we mentioned earlier, he prayed rather than, God, I thank you, I'm not like those people. He just simply prayed, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The tax collector who was bankrupt morally and religiously was declared not guilty. So come and admit it. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Come to him and tell him that you're a bankrupt beggar because he is ready for you. He is ready to answer you. He is ready to give to you. It is never too early. It is never too late. Just tell him your trust in what Jesus has done, taking your bankruptcy and giving you his riches in your place. It's no wonder Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.